You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Some of you will know Didier. <clears throat> That's the wee black Cleo that I drive. And Jason landed me in it last week, didn't he? Where he said, I fly behind me. And of course, that's not really the case with DDA at all. But this week, I thought I'd try something out. You know the way the red light comes on in the car? To see how far, you know, red light comes on you, 40 miles left in the tank. And I thought this week, I'd give it a go. How many extra miles I could go after the 40? Didn't end well. If you ignore the warning light for like a lot, eventually the car will stutter and come to an abrupt stop after choking and grinding a few times. To ignore the warning light is incredibly stupid. It's a really foolish thing to do in the car for any kind of, mine lights up like a Christmas tree, but for your car it's a better nick than mine. It's foolish to ignore all those warning lights, isn't it? And we come to Luke's gospel, here in chapter 16, we'd be foolish to ignore the warning sign that Jesus gives us today. We really would. Jesus is saying, stop ignoring me. Stop ignoring the Jesus you find in the word, or else there'll be dire consequences. Whenever each of us, in a sense, slow down, grind, and stutter to a stop, where will we be? Is the, mass, the passage today and the message is very clear. But what has already happened in Luke chapter 16? Because it's important to read all of this in context, isn't it? So at the start of Luke chapter 16, we have this really strange parable about a dishonest manager. And what we learn in that is Jesus says, Christian, you need to be shrewd and wise with how you use your money. You need to be shrewd and wise and how you use it. Use it for kingdom purposes, not earthly purposes. And then if you look at in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters, but the Pharisees who are listening and now uh, fully involved, we, we're told that they love money. They're then told that God's word applies to them today, and it still applies to us today, the law and the prophets. And it's that background with the money and with the law and the prophets being relevant for today that Jesus gives this parable. So this parable is about a rich man, and he evidently doesn't do anything with his money for, the, for Lazarus the poor man, which we'll come to. But that's, that's maybe just an added thing, that the rich man doesn't give anything to the poor. It's just a reflection of where he's at spiritually. The parable's not a, really about money, but it's about the eternal destination. So as we get a glimpse today into eternity, what are we going to look at? Well, let's, let's look at the firstly the two different lives that we see before us, so the two different lives, the rich man and Lazarus, the characters in the story. And the rich man, well, what Luke and Jesus are trying to get across is that the rich man has made it in life. He has made it. Uh, he has, you know, dressed in purple, the most expensive color. I don't know what the most expensive outfit is, but that's, he has it. He's the most expensive material. His, his undergarments are fine linen. You know, he's worn his silk pajamas to bed. This guy has it all. He has it all. He's the finest of the fine. But this is what he is wearing, his everyday clothes. He lived in luxury every day. This just wasn't going out somewhere nice to eat or to, to explore his surroundings. This was just his outfit every day. He really had it all. And his eating... 
What does it say about his eating? He's not really eating at all. It's feasting. He is plenty. He's not worried about where his next meal is going to come from. And this is an everyday occurrence. And that feasting, that word, yeah, it means eating, but it also means in every other aspect of, of in the world. He is feasting on everything that he can get his hands on. He can get all the pleasures that he wants. He is feasting on the world. This man lives in utter luxury. You know, it's not just a house in the street, but it's a house with a gate and a walkway. You know, that's, that's due to accommodation. He is the rich of the rich. This is serious wealth. But then our second character is Lazarus, who is the, the poor of the poor, isn't he? In all of Jesus' parables, Jesus talks about you know, managers and servants. He talks about good Samaritans and Levites. In all of his parables, Jesus gives one man a name. One man. And it's the poor of the poor. It's Lazarus here. It's the only character that Jesus actually gives a name to. And what does that name mean? Well, it means our, our God helps. And maybe that's something to bank in our heads as we read through the story. But this poor man, what do we know? Well, he seems to be a beggar, doesn't he? In verse 20, at his gate was laid. So Lazarus seems he can't even move all that well. He's literally dumped. He's laid down there, the rich man's gate. And he's sore. He's not doing much. You know, the opulence of the rich man and all of his feasting and riches is at a total comparison or contrast, sorry, to Lazarus, isn't he? The lack of wealth is so clear. It's a hopeless and poor situation. Lazarus may be asked to be dumped outside this house, the rich man's house, hoping, we're told here, to longing to eat what had fallen from the ground longing to eat. It even implies that he never even received anything. He was just longing for scraps, just desired to be fed. Yes, this rich man is just going to walk past him every day and not listen to him or look anywhere near him. The rich man was not attending to others' needs. But look at the, look at, can we have pity on Lazarus here in the story? Because as the rich man ignores him, who looks after Lazarus? The dogs. I know some of you love your dogs and their house dogs, you know, I don't know, a wee Scotty or a golden retriever, all these lovely pets. Don't think of pets when you read dogs here. Think of stray animals wandering the streets, just scavenging for food. That is what's licking his source. It's a hopeless, horrible situation. It's not a nice dog. This is just grim. Grim. How low is this man? It seems no one really cares too much for him. It's really a sorry sight, isn't it? The rich man's the perfect picture of being self-indulgent and selfish, and the contrast could not be clearer. And although nothing is mentioned about the religious belaser state initially, that will become very clear. Two different lives, but they both have one earthly destination, don't they? One earthly destination. Verse 22 Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels uh, carried him to Abraham's side. And then verse uh, 23, is it? Uh, Sorry, end of verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. Lazarus, he dies immediately. He dies, sorry, and immediately goes to glory. He goes to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side, heaven. Here, Lazarus, the poor, wretched man who everyone ignored, is now in esteemed company. 
with Ab by Abraham's side. Lazarus dies, and I'm sure he was buried. But do you notice there's not even a notion of being buried here? There's not a funeral service for this guy. He's just put in the ditch. He goes to the ground. The rich man dies, and well, he is buried. He got a funeral to match his opulence and grandeur in life. I'm sure lots of people came. I'm sure it was something to behold, something to rival a, a, a royal funeral, where everyone's eyes were on it, where there was great fanfare about it, even though he had died. But basically, he lived, he died, and he was buried. One earthly destination, the ground. From dust we were formed, to dust they return, and we return. It's a common for, for each one of us, no matter how rich or how poor we are. The rich man lived life although he was never going to die. He lived life as if he was going to spend eternity on earth, eating, feasting, lounging in his riches. But they both died. The parable is so clear, isn't it? But life is also clear. Everyone dies. It's not a matter of if, but when. Everyone will suffer death. Some of us will get longer in years than others. But death is the great equalizer. We will all end up on that earthly destination of the ground, of dust. There's nothing like death to unite us all and strip us bare in that sense. It really does show that we are equal in every way. We cannot use our influence or power or positions to, or riches to avoid it. And neither could the rich man. It will come. All people, it's a certainty for us. And we need to be ready for that day. Because there are two eternal destinations. And you know where they are already. Satan in the, the Garden of Eden, whenever he's tempting Eve, do what he says, you will surely not die. You will surely not die. And many men have lived like that since, haven't they? I will not die. Maybe in a physical sense, where maybe they just go about doing their own lives and feel invincible. But definitely in a spiritual sense, men feel that they will never die, that there isn't a spiritual sense to it all. But here, we're told that this is a reality. We all will die, yet some of us get so concerned about the, the risk of death on earth that we forget about what lies beyond the earth. So consumed by what happens on earth, consumed by the here and now, that we forget about the eternal reality ahead of us. And in Jesus, there is no risk in eternity. Without Jesus, the problem is not on earth, because we will all die, but in eternity. Where are these two eternal destinations? Well, the first one's in verse 25 there. Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. That was the common, the Jewish way of referring to the afterlife. And there we read that it's going to be good and people will be comforted. Although death will come, for those in Jesus, as we have just sung, there is hope in life and in death. Why? Because immediately after his death, in verse 22, where is he taken? As Lazarus breathed his laugh, he is taken to heaven, to glory, to Abraham's side. And there, Lazarus finds comfort. The exact opposite of what he faced on earth, isn't it? Where the dogs were licking his sores, now he is being comforted. 
this eternal comfort and blessing. And that is where God's people go. Immediately we'll go to Abraham's side to heaven if we are trusting in Jesus. This world, our experiences of it, they're gone. Our stress, our anxiety, our pains, our sufferings, our illness, our sores, our troubles, one day will all be gone when we're trusting in Jesus because there is comfort in knowing Christ. On Friday, I was able to go to the rainy here for SU and they're looking at the Beatitudes and I was on the second one. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Jesus is talking about you know, death but also sin. If we mourn sin, if we repent in sin and turn to Jesus, there will be comfort. There will be comfort, maybe not in this world, as Lazarus is a good example of, but there is comfort in the eternity to come because there's forgiveness and salvation. There's comfort in eternity forevermore for God's people, for trusting in Jesus. So it appears Lazarus had a faith. What about the rich man? What's his destination? Verse 24, it's Hades. Greek word, we just, hell, we would translate it. And it's a place of torment and thirst. Here, there's no RIP. There's no rest in peace, that people would say. There's no extra angels in the sky. The Bible is very clear. The rich man goes to Hades. In torment, he begs for the slightest relief. Do you notice that? He pleads for just one drop of water. Even that would be enough to relieve him for a little while. That is how tormentous this place is. He looks up in agony and says, have pity on me. Just exactly what Lazarus would have said to him on earth. But the rich man discovers what Jesus said in verse 9 here, that the world's riches will disappear, that riches do not last forever. The rich man now knows that, well, this cannot buy him into heaven. And it cannot even buy him out of hell because Hades, hell or heaven, is a fixed abode for us. When we die, we will be in a fixed abode, a fixed home, a fixed place. As I've dotted around visiting quite a few folk in both congregations, you occasionally get a gem and somebody tells you that they've lived in this house from the day they were born. And it's a day, until they carry me out of here, I'm going to be here. In that sense, it's a fixed earthly dwelling. They spend all their days on earth in it. But here, Jesus said, in eternity, that's what it's going to be. Fixed for all of eternity. See, if you're following Jesus, take great comfort in this. If you're trusting in him, take comfort. Eternity is fixed. It is done finito. Despite our constant roaming from God on earth, despite all the pains and anxieties that we feel in our stomachs whenever we go about our daily business, our constant and repeated offenses towards God in Jesus, our salvation, our home is eternal and fixed. He put the price down for that house. He did, and we trust in him for it. And once we are dead, we will be immediately with him for all eternity. Believer, take comfort in that. Despite the sufferings of this world, that they will come like Lazarus, we will be comforted forevermore. On the other hand, this is a real place, Hades. Reality and eternity of torment, and it too is fixed. 
death is not only immediate. The destination is not is, is sorry. The destination is fixed. Death seals our fate on that. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance. There's no more opportunities for you. There are no amount of prayers of others whenever you die can help you. No amount of money paid. No amount of time of cleansing. Because there's no opportunity to do so. Without Christ, you will go to Hades. There's no place in between. There's no place for the not so good or the not too bad people. It's heaven or hell. Those trusting in Jesus, the, the bad and unrighteous people like me, who have been made righteous and good in Jesus, will be in heaven. But those not trusting in Jesus will be sinners deserving of judgment. Don't ignore the warning lights. Death will come. Don't let another minute pass without thinking about it. Because once we get to our fixed abode, heaven or hell, there's no changing that. There will no, be no changes of address for us. There is no go-between heaven or hell either. There's no respite, and there's no return. What I mean? Well, there's no bridge or tunnel to be in one place or the other. But if you look at verse uh, 23, there's going to be no go-between. There's going to be no respite. The rich man calls out to Lazarus and Abraham, and verse 23 says, I'm in torment, I'm in thirsting. Please send some water just to dip, cool my tongue. I'm in fire and in agony in verse 24. He asks for just a drop. Such is the punishment the rich man experiences. I think that's a very fearful picture, isn't it? Never we're really thirsting for a drink, we want to gulp down a whole lot. Or sometimes people wet their lips towards the end of life just to let that moisture in. But that's got nothing in what's here. Just a drop. To give him a, just soothe him for a little bit. That's all he's asking for. Yet it is not allowed. Do you see that? It's a fearful picture. Abraham says that there's a great chasm in verses 25 and 26. There's a great chasm between us that's fixed. No one can cross over one way or the other. In eternity, there will be no respite for the wicked. There will be no mercy. Here on earth is the place to discover Christ and mercy. Because if we end up out of the earth, or in the earth, sorry, our chance to respond is over. Respond to God's mercy on the earth because it's too late when you're in the earth. Don't be like the rich man. The rich man clearly only cares about his soul whenever he's gone. He only cares about his spiritual state after his death. It's only then he realizes the extent of his punishment and he is already aware of his situation. He knows very well about his own family too, doesn't he? And this is where Abraham says there's no return. He asks for a messenger to be sent to his brothers. While on earth, the rich man didn't do anything good for his soul or for the souls of others. He's now dead and he desires. Do you notice even what he desires in hell? What he desires is that his brothers do not face the same fate. That his brothers would repent. In his death, he understands where he is at. He understands. He understands that he is guilty. He understands he was blind and ignored it. He is fully comprehending what is going on in his suffering. It's not a dream or a place without feeling, a place that you go numb or not feel it. It's in a place of intense suffering, leaving only sorrow. And here, 
Whenever he is there, he is begging that people would return to tell his brothers. He loved his brothers. And he wanted to tell them, don't go my way. And as we have family who have not trusted Jesus and who are no longer with us, I think this echoes what they're thinking right now. They can't send anybody in return, but they would want you to know, don't face the same fate as me. They didn't look or listen at Lazarus at the gate. Were his brothers really going to listen to him if he rose from the, the, the grave? I don't think so. Abraham is speaking. He talks about this great chasm. The rich man knows his family's in danger, and he asks, please just send Lazarus. He's even trying to use Lazarus as a gopher then. And he says, go warn them. Urge them with authority is what he's saying. Go and just don't take no as an answer. That is what he wants Lazarus to do. But Abraham says there's no return. That Lazarus won't go back uh, to warn the rich man's family. Why? Because the message was always very clear to hear. But they refused to hear it and believe it. In other words, we're learning here that there's one eternal message. One eternal message. The rich man cannot say he didn't know. He just ignored And this is what Abraham is saying. There's one eternal message in God's word. One eternal message. The people will not change their minds even if Lazarus comes to them. They will not change, Abraham says. In verse 29, is it, that uh, all the the law and the prophets, the Moses and the prophets, they're there. And that echoes verses 16 and 17, doesn't it? That the law and the prophets, Jesus is saying that, that it still stands. And here in the story, Jesus is saying it still stands. The law and the prophets for them and for us that and the gospels all hinting towards us that God's word still stands for us. But for the rich man, it's still not going to be enough for him. He wants something else other than God's words. He wants a dead man to talk so they would believe. He's just simply dismissing God's word again. The rich man still wants something more than Jesus. Don't be like the rich man and want something more. God's word is sufficient. Don't say you need something more because even if there was something more, you would not believe. It's not although you need more evidence. You need more heart to believe in what you've heard. The dead and Lazarus in this case cannot tell us any more than what's already revealed to us in God's word. Lazarus could come from the grave, come and instruct but his message will still be the same. I think it's interesting. Jesus is telling this parable, isn't he? In verse 30, he say, uh, sorry, verse 31, Jesus, uh, Abraham says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to everybody but the Pharisees. And Jesus knows, doesn't he? He knows where he's going to. Where is he going to? Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? The cross. What's going to happen after the cross? Death. What's going to happen after that? He will rise from the grave. He will come alive. And what happens to the Pharisees? Do they believe then? For the most part, no. Even if Christ himself rose from the dead for these people, they would not believe. 
the reason that people did not believe, the reason they didn't repent, it's not because they lacked any information. It's not that they lacked any convincing enough miracle from Jesus. They simply worshipped the wrong thing. They simply didn't desire to worship God. And they set their hearts not on Jesus, but on the things of this world. We need to wake up from our delusion if we're not listening to the warning lights. Trust God's word, the law and the prophets, the New Testament, because it all points to God's son, Jesus. We have the entire scriptures giving testament to us about Jesus. If we are saying, I don't believe all that stuff about Jesus, heaven and hell, I would need something more. Don't ask for that. Just read the Bible. Don't ask for miracles or don't ask for someone back from the the dead to tell you because he already is risen and has come back and he will return. Don't ask for dreams. Simply study God's word. Scripture is sufficient. Bring God's word. We see God's heart for his people. You will see Christ and salvation. The cross allows us to cross that chasm where we're all heading to a destination of hell. That's where our sin is leading us, but now through Christ. He has been there for us so that we might be in heaven. Sin and death no more, but now life and glory. The reward is comfort and joy with God in heaven. One eternal message, it's Jesus through God's word, it's God's son in God's word. Death will come to each one of us. Death will last forever. Death will have different destinations. Death has no way back. But death has been conquered. How? It was Jesus who was rich, yet became poor, didn't he? He left the glory and splendor and the riches and majesty of heaven to come down to earth to us spiritually who are like Lazarus, poor and helpless, pitiful sight and state. Yet Jesus comes. He doesn't act like the rich man, but actually he picks us up. He responds to the brokenness. He responds to our sin and he comforts us. He looks at each one of us with compassion. He became human. So he could be that perfect sacrifice on the cross for that sin. He took that sin. He became poor because Jesus on the cross, well, he took hell. Jesus took hell on the cross. It was there he was hung. He was cursed. He listened to the abuse that was thrown at him from the, the, from the people on the ground, the mocking, the taunts, the laughing. But he received much more than the physical and the verbal threats. Jesus took hell. Jesus endured the Father's wrath, the torment and hell that this rich man is experiencing. Jesus took mine and yours if you're trusting in him. The rich man, when he's in Hades, what is it that he asks for? He asks that just a drop of water be put on his tongue. Jesus from the cross cried, it is finished. What did he say before that? Do you remember? Jesus said, I thirst. I thirst. Jesus took that torment, the bitterness of our sin, that wrath from God. Jesus with his own lips is saying, when I thirst, I'm taking hell for you. Jesus says, I thirst. So you don't have to. Come to me, the living waters, that you never thirst again. 
as he took hell and was thirsty. His body was taken to that earthly destination. Yes, Jesus did die. He was placed in the ground, fully God, yet fully man, in the ground, buried. His body cared for and looked after according to their custom, just like where we will end up, our bodies will be cared for and looked after, and where this earthly body would rot and decay. We know it's not the end of the story. Because there's a time coming where God's people will join Jesus in his resurrection. Because Jesus, yes, he did die, but he conquered death. He rose again and ascended to glory. Where we will be when we are trusting in him, this new heavens and new earth, in God's presence as soon as we die because of Jesus. Just like the thief on the cross beside Jesus, Jesus says to him, today you'll be me in paradise. And I close my eyes, breathe my last, I'll be with Jesus in paradise. Jesus, who endures hell, so that we would enjoy heaven. Christ took hell, so we don't have to go there. And we rest in his finished Praise God. At the cross, it's finished. It's done. Christ rises triumphant. He thirsts for us so we might have a banquet, as we looked at over a number of weeks ago, in eternity.